necessarily to raise your kid without raising Cain because that's not necessarily achievable. It is possible that you could do your very best as a God-honoring parent and you could still have a Cain in your midst. The goal, rather, is to be a faithful parent, that you would be faithful in doing what God has called you to do and you trust him with the results of what he does by his own sovereign grace in the life of your kids. I just don't want us to get to think that somehow there's a program or there are certain things that you do in raising your kids, and if you do these things perfectly, your kid will turn out to be perfect. It's just not true. It's got to be the grace of God. It's got to be the grace of God. It's got to be the word of God in the heart of your child to convert them and to help them to live for him. Nevertheless, as parents, we're called to be faithful. And God's word has a lot to say about how to be faithful in raising our kids. And so we're in the middle of Ephesians 6, a series, again, on parenting. You could have called this series uh, Spirit-Filled Parenting because we're in the area of Ephesians where we're not to be drunk with, excuse me, with wine, for that is dissipation, but to be filled with the Spirit. And what that looks like in worship, what that looks like in marriages, what that looks like in parenting, what that looks like at work, and what that looks like in spiritual warfare. So just be reminded that you can't do these things without being saved and without being filled with the Spirit of the living God. And so let's look at Ephesians 6. We'll spend most of our time in verse 4, but let me just read 1 through 4 again this morning. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, "'Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right.'" Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, we bow our heads and our hearts before you this morning, and we pray that you would continue to shine your light on this passage and encourage our hearts, especially parents today, of how to do exactly what you tell us to do. God, we don't want to provoke our children to anger by our own inconsistencies and our own selfishness and our own sin. But rather, God, we want to be faithful. We want to bring up, we want to nourish our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Would you help us to do it by your grace and for Your glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, without a doubt, discipline is essential to any successful endeavor. An undisciplined army, for example, will lose their focus on the battlefield, and they will fight against each other instead of against the enemy, and they will flee like cowards when the going gets tough if they're not disciplined. One article addressing the discipline in the United States Army states the following, quote, discipline and standards define what it means to be an Army professional. Through the teaching and instillment of Army standards and discipline, we honor and respect the rich heritage which the Army is founded upon while also ensuring the future success of the Army by inspiring us to adhere to and exceed the standard. Standards and discipline are the foundation of what is professionally, legally, and morally correct, and as such instills trust in ourselves and in our fellow soldiers. It is this definitive trust in one another, in our leaders, and in the army that molds and strengthens our sense of pride and our army culture. The maintenance of self-discipline is a primary duty of an army professional. Being strong in the presence of great adversity requires immeasurable moral discipline. To be accountable for our actions and to do what is right in the presence of mental and physical adversity embodies the meaning of being an American soldier, of living the warrior ethos and upholding the army values. The absence of discipline and standards negatively impacts the hierarchical rank system within the army. A lack of discipline also diminishes the sustainability and readiness of our force and destroys the trust, good faith, and hope the American public has placed in the hands of the Army. Now, everybody thinks about the United States Army, and any Army for that 
matter, to be a disciplined force. If you don't have discipline on the battlefield, you're not going to be able to defend your country. And so certainly discipline is required in the army. But discipline is also required at work. You can't have a successful job or a successful business if the employees of the business are not disciplined. In fact, consider the following from a business article written recently in the Houston Chronicle. Quote, Every boss has been there. The moment when you realize a problem employee is going to need disciplinary action. The temptation is to either flake out because of a desire for peace or overreact out of a frustration and anger. Human resource experts advise that workplace discipline is best administered in a private one-on-one -on -one conference that focuses on behavior, not on personalities. And it's important not to ignore the issue. Workplace discipline, when properly administered, helps your business avoid many common problems and benefits you in many ways. The first and most important result of workplace discipline is that it curbs problem behavior. Workplace discipline, when consistently and fairly applied, also reinforces the rules you've established for workplace conduct and promotes employee morale. If the employee is allowed to continue behaving inappropriately, he will be bewildered and possibly resentful when he's finally corrected, since he will correctly point out that he did the same thing many times before without any response from management. Other employees will also see the example behaving inappropriately without rebuke and perhaps emboldened, be emboldened to do the same themselves. Swift correction of problem behavior prevents these adverse events. So what do we see? Well, we see the army talking about discipline and the need therein to defend our country. We see businesses, any business, whether it's a large business or a small business, also has to have discipline to stick to the, the rules of the company in order to have a team that can be successful for their cause. And so not only is discipline needed at work and not only is discipline needed in war, it's also needed for a winning championship team. There'll be a lot of talk today about championship teams and what it takes to get to the big Super Bowl. Maybe you could consider, if you will, one of the most legendary coaches of college football, which was Bear Bryant, who coached at Alabama for 25 years. During that 25-year stint, he won no less than six national championships. The Bear knew a little bit about discipline. In fact, here's a couple of famous quotes revealing his coaching style. Quote, I am no miracle man. I guarantee nothing but hard work. Losing doesn't make me want to quit. It makes me want to fight that much harder. Little things make the difference. Everyone is well prepared in the big things, but only the winners perfect the little things. Never quit. It is the easiest cop-out in the world. Set a goal and don't quit until you attain it. When you do attain it, set another goal and don't quit until you reach it. Never quit. Sacrifice, work, self-discipline. I teach these things and my boys don't forget them when they leave. What I'm trying to simply point out is that if dis discipline is highlighted on the football field, and if discipline is highlighted at work, and if discipline is highlighted as one of the supreme character traits of the army, then certainly we know where discipline needs to be manifested as well, and that's at home. We need more, more discipline at home. There are far too many Christian homes that are getting too relaxed when it comes to discipline. There are too many parents resorting to bribing over-rewarding and begging to get their kids to obey. Folks, it ought not be that way, right? We ought to raise our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this morning, I want to talk about exactly that. What does biblical discipline look like that honors God's and, and that honors God and helps you uh, demonstrate at the same time your love? For your kids and your desire for their well-being. We'll only have time to look at the word discipline. Next week, we'll tackle the word instruction. 
All right, so this morning, again, I'm going to look at, at a couple of ways that uh, we can think through discipline by reviewing the outline of this whole passage, if you will. There was the negative command, or I should say the outline of verse 4. The negative command, we talked two weeks, about 10 ways that you could exasperate or provoke your child to anger. And just to recap that quickly, telling your child no is not a way to provoke them to anger. That you need to tell them no. Right? But you also need to make sure that you're being balanced that you're being fair, that you're being consistent, that you're not overprotecting them, neither are you giving them too much freedom, that you're not disciplining them out of anger or any type of abuse. There's a, a myriad of ways that you could provoke your kids to anger. Saying no is not one of them. All right, so we looked at that for two weeks, and so this week we're going to kick over into the end of verse 4 and talk about the positive command. And hopefully we'll spend a couple of weeks here bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I just wanted to point out one thing about that word where it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. That word for bring them up is also used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. In fact, if you'll go back to our marriage series in 529, the word is nourish. It says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So in the context, he's talking about a man loving his own body, that nobody uh, ever abuses his body, but he nourishes his own body. That's what Christ does for the church. And so in the same way, that's what a husband should do for his wife. He should nourish her. He should bring her up and help her to mature in Christ. The same word, again, is used here in 6.4, to bring them up, talking again about your children, nourishing them and bringing them up in, in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord and bringing them up with discipline. And so what we're looking at here, next click on the PowerPoint, is we're talking about godly discipline. What is that and what does that look like? And let me just say this, in Colossians 3.21, when it warns parents not to provoke them to anger, it gives kind of a ne another negative. It says, lest they be discouraged. But here in Ephesians 6.4, it gives a positive. There's a major contrast between the first part of Ephesians 6, which is more of a negative, don't provoke them to anger, and the second part of Ephesians 6.4, which talks about, but, again, in the original language, a great contrast, don't do this, but bring them up, nourish them, cherish them in the Lord. In fact, it was John Calvin who said that, let them be kindly cherished. In other words, this is not a negative connotation. You might think, well, we got to talk a lot about discipline. So the whole verse is negative. Don't provoke them to anger, but discipline them. Well, it's supposed to be actually seen in a, as a positive. That's what discipline does, right? It's a positive thing from a loving parent to a child to help them gain the most out of life and to gain the most for God's glory. And so you need to be reading this as a positive sense, the word discipline it really means. In fact, the word discipline is only used five other times in the New Testament outside of this passage. One of them you know well, it's 2 Timothy 3.16. It says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The word discipline in that famous verse is the word training. Training in righteousness. Discipline equals training. That's what Coach Bear Bryant was talking about with his football team. He's got to have good discipline, good training. And so one context it's used is talking about the, the, uh, the supremacy of the Word of God, that it's God-breathed and it's profitable for training or for discipline. The other place it's used, if you'll turn to Hebrews 12, this is the other four places that it's used outside of Ephesians 6. One is 2 Timothy 3.16. The other four is in Hebrews 12, and we'll come back to this later, but here's, here it is, Hebrews 12.5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Skip down to verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Skip down to verse 8. If you are left without discipline, and then skip down to verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful but rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we'll come back and look at that later. I just wanted you to see there's two contexts outside of Ephesians 6 where the word discipline is used. One is talking about the inspiration of Scripture, and the other is talking about how, how, how God disciplines his children should be the example of why fathers discipline their children. And again, we'll come back to that Hebrews 12 in a minute. 
for now, here's what we're going to do. The rest of our time, we're going to try to answer these three questions. Number one, why is discipline necessary? Why is discipline necessary? And next click on the PowerPoint is going to go ahead and give us our first sub-point is, is this. Here's, here's four reasons why discipline is necessary. Number one, or f- number A in your outline, the nature of the child demands discipline. The nature of the child demands discipline. Why is discipline necessary? Because your child is born with a sinful nature. That's how they began. In fact, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, talking here about what happened after Noah had escaped the flood and him and his sons get off the ark after a whole year of being on the water, they they sacrifice an animal. And in Genesis 8, 21, after they sacrifice the animal, it says this, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. All right, but notice what he says about, about the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. In other words, there's no such thing as an angel baby. All right, Lisa and I have had five babies. She had all five. I just sat there and watched. But, uh, you know, sometimes they're so cute and so cuddly, we just want to say, oh, look at my little angel baby. Now, to be more accurate, we should say, look at that demon baby. All right, because on the inside, they're all reprobates. As cute as they are, and as nice as they smell, to some, they are reprobates, right? And they deserve, you and I deserve the wrath of God. That's how we came out of the womb. We are all sinners in need of salvation. This is counterculture to where most people stand, right? They believe that somehow we're influenced, we come out neutral or good, and somehow we're influenced by the culture. That's psychology. But the Bible teaches... If you'll turn over to Psalm 51.5, here's another passage. It talks about how we uh, are, are evil from our youth. David talks about it being even in the womb, possibly. In Psalm 51.5, David writing a psalm of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba, but acknowledges this, Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. It is possible to make the case that a human being's first sin is not outside the womb, but inside the womb. Your nature began with conception. And so it is possible, I'm, not, I'm, I'm stepping out on a limb because I don't, I don't want to say it emphatically, but according to, in sin, did my mother conceive me? The question could be, you know what, you had a sinful nature in the womb. And some pregnant mama said, that's why that boy kicked so hard. He was a sinner, even in the womb, right? I mean, John the Baptist got saved in the womb. So it's certainly possible to see the fact that as a human being, you had a sinful nature even in the womb. Certainly, if it didn't happen in the womb, it happens after birth. Skip down to chapter 58 of Psalm, Psalm 58, verse 3, where it says this, The wicked are estranged from the womb, and they go astray from birth, speaking lies. So the idea is that from the very day of your birth, you certainly are a sinner. You're going astray. You're speaking lies. I mean, you don't, you don't have to teach a kid how to lie. Right? You have to teach a kid how to tell the truth. In fact, I still remember my first lie. I was about four years old, and my parents were giving my brother and me an allowance, and it was a quarter a week. This was back in the 80s. All right, quarter a week. And so I'm thinking, man, that's going to take a long time to save up to buy that car I want. And so one Saturday morning, my parents are kind of hanging out at the kitchen table. I see them kind of downstairs, and I tiptoe in my parents' bedroom to my dad's dresser because I knew in the top of his dresser he had a treasure of coinage and peppermint. So I reached my hand up there, and I just grabbed a handful of coins, and I pulled them out, put them in my pocket, walked back in my bedroom, quietly closed the door, and I'm just examining my treasure. This is awesome. I got lots of quarters. I mean, I got more quarters than I know. I can even count this high. And my dad knocks on the door, and he comes in, and he just looked at me and said, hey, son, what do you got there? And I'm like, quarters? And he's like, where did you get them? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, 
you lie. I was caught red-handed, right? I mean, on that spot, I just remember my dad giving me a lecture and giving me a beating that I remember to this day. And it was one of those things of like, boy, don't you lie to me, right? You can do whatever you want, but don't you lie to me or you're going to get this again. And I'm like, yes, sir. I got it. And I haven't lied since. (laughs) I guess I just did. All right, but, you know, the idea is that that's one of the things we certainly want to instill into our kids, right? Not to tell a lie. You have to teach them over and over to speak the truth. And so the idea of us sinning from birth is just rampantly um, understandable from the life that we live. In fact, turn, if you will, to Proverbs 1.22. Proverbs 1.22, another verse that kind of states this in a different way. This verse says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? You know what the verse is saying? It's like, it's like hey, you got to grow up and mature. You can't stay a simple one. You can't turn into a scoffer. You can't hate knowledge, the truth of God's word. You need to rather grow up because you, you're, you're born in a simple state. Or look at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says this, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. I mean, how true is that? Every parent who reads that is like, mm-hmm, that's the truth. In fact, we've been sharing this verse some with our kids. And I think it was Hudson a year or so ago. Lisa, would every time she would discipline him, would read him this verse. And she would be like, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And he kind of looks up at her and he said, mommy, drive it away. She says, drive it away. And so for like the next three or four days, he's like, drive away foolishness, driving it away. I I don't know if he knew what that meant, but we're trying to teach him, right? We got to drive it away. And the idea is that you can't ultimately drive foolishness away. You understand it. It's got to be the grace of God through repentance and faith. It's got to be a sovereign act of God regenerating a heart and helping a newly regenerated heart grow in sanctification But it is the tool of the rod that God says for every parent to use, which is helpful to understand that fact, that it's got to be driven away. And we've got to understand that a godly home will never drive sin out of your child's heart. But a godly home will provide the means by which God may choose to drive folly out of your child's heart by his grace alone. So I'm just trying to say, just because you're doing it faithfully doesn't mean you have achieved it. It's got to be a spiritual truth. It's got to be a spiritual work of God. So you be faithful to do it with the rod, what God's called you to do, but you also be faithful to pray. You be faithful to rest in the finished work of the cross. And you be faithful lest you become a legalist, thinking that the more you discipline, the more guarantee that your child is going to change. Look, while there's a truism that when we're faithful, God blesses that, don't take it to the bank as being a direct promise from God. And so the idea here is I want to be faithful, and I want to see God work, and I'm praying that God would add to my obedience his sovereign grace in the heart of my child. Well, let me give you another reason why it's necessary to discipline. Number one is the nature of the child. Number two is the direction of the child. The direction of the child demands discipline, for direction comes out of your nature. Not only do you have a, an evil nature when you and I were born and our kids are born, but we have a bad direction, right? A sinful direction. And so Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Look, our kids always think they're right. They, they always think that, you know what, I, you know, I deserve this or that other kid did something wrong to me or why don't you let me have my way? Uh, it is so true with children. They believe that the universe revolves around them. And it starts in infancy when they just cry and cry when they don't get what they want, right? There's just, there's just a nature in us where we got to understand that that's foolish to allow our child to grow up thinking that it's all about them. But they need to learn to be wise, and listen to advice. This is a true principle, whether you're talking about adults or you're talking about children. In fact, turn turn to Proverbs 13, one chapter over, verse 18. Poverty and disgrace come come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. 
And so you need to be a parent who's teaching your children so that they don't end up in poverty and disgrace. I, I like what Martin Luther said about disciplining children. He said, spare the rod and spoil the child. That is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he has done well. And so I appreciate the motivation. It's not only discipline them when they sin, but we also want to give them reproof so that they heed that and it leads to honor and that there is a, an appropriate reward system in the home, whether it's praise or whether it's uh, special gifts that, that are given at the parent's discretion. Certainly, we don't want to only use the rod. And so I love Martin Luther's idea, kind of like the rod in one hand and the apple in another. If you're only using the carrot, then I don't believe that's biblical, you know, the apple, a carrot. But if, if you're using the rod and that's all you do, that's not maybe as helpful either. We want to have encouragement and come alongside them so that they can um, learn how to, to grow and to mature in life. How about uh, Proverbs 15, 32? Looking at a lot of Proverbs this morning, but Proverbs 15, 32 says this, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Look, you, you can't let your kid just ignore the instruction that you're giving. If, if you let them ignore it, and I understand again, it's partly out of your hands, but you want to keep bringing it to the forefront, but whoever ignores instruction despises himself. I mean, this verse shows that a child is only hurting himself when he doesn't listen to reproof. So you be a faithful reprover, and you continue to bring this up in your child's life because you love them, and you care for them, and you're trying to change their direction, and you know you can't do it, but you can be faithful to try to point them to God's word and to pray for them and let God do it. Look at Proverbs 19, verse 18. Proverbs 19 Verse 18 says, discipline your son, for there is hope. Some parent in here needs that verse today, right? Discipline your son, for there is hope. How many times does it feel like as parents, man, all I've done is spank my kid all day long. Here we go again. Will they ever learn? Look, that may be how you feel. But that's not the truth of this verse. This verse says, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. In other words, you could get so discouraged, you're tempted to, I'm just going to kill that kid. In fact, there's some verses in the Bible that talk about appropriate places where you could kill that kid. You remember Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 and following says, If a man has a stubborn, rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him. And I believe by the ear. It doesn't say that. They shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Look, next time your kid is complaining about you spanking him, read him this passage. He'd be like, hey, listen here, buddy. If we lived under the old covenant, it'd be more than a spank that you'd be getting today. I mean, maybe you don't want to over-threaten them, but I do think it's important to understand right? The grace of God. I mean, my word, they deserve death for their own sin. It's in the New Testament, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of your sin is death. And so the reason I'm disciplining you is to set you free from death because there's hope. I have hope that as long as I'm being faithful, God might work in your heart to change you and to help you and to grow you. But first, God's got to save you. Right, all the discipline in the world that we talked about earlier, about the army and about the business world and about the championship team, all of that is a principle of discipline that is void of the gospel. So while discipline may work to a degree, it doesn't really work like it's supposed to work in your heart unless you've been saved. You can't just take a lot of principles for the Bible and apply them and expect uh, everything to be a God-honoring result. It may be the principles still hold true, but we're after a bigger principle than a moralistic kid, aren't we? We're after conversion. 
We're not just after behavioral changes. We're after our heart change, which we're trusting God for as we're faithful to do what God has called us to do. Turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs 23. 23, 13, and 14 says this, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. You know, how many times have you spanked your kids where maybe like my kids before they've said things like, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding. I'm like, let me check. No, you're not bleeding, you're fine. You know, right, we, we have to discipline in a way that, that, that gets their attention, right? But the idea is, is that when you discipline them appropriately, this verse says that, uh, that, you, that he will not die, right? If you're doing it appropriately, but rather what you may be doing is saving his soul from death. So he's not going to die in the physical, but he might die in the spiritual if you're not being faithful to point them to Christ. And so the idea is, is that I, I like to say sometimes that the way to a child's heart is through their bottom. That's how you get there, right? If, if the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, ladies, keep that in mind, all right? But a way to a child's heart is through his bottom. That's where you get his attention sometimes more than ever in an opportunity to declare the gospel to your child, the truth to your child, God's word to your child, because you have their attention. And it may be that God uses the faithful discipline of a parent to save their child from hell. Let me move on to another reason why discipline is necessary. It would be this, see in your outline, the responsibility that God has placed on parents demands that we discipline our children. Look, discipline is not optional. It's not like you can sit out there and be like, ah, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. It's like, no, you're commanded. I'm commanded. As parents, we are commanded to discipline our children. Listen to Genesis 18, 19. says this, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. That's given to Abraham. That he's commanded to teach his children and to expect them to follow the way of the Lord. Or listen to Deuteronomy 4, 9. Moses writes, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. You know what's common in today's culture? Well, I can't force my faith on my kids, so I'll just let them figure it out on their own. It's their choice. Well, the Bible doesn't necessarily speak like that. The Bible says that we're commanded to raise up a household after us that would keep the commandments of the Lord. We're commanded as parents to make known to our children and our children's children how to keep the commandments of the Lord. We're commanded by the Shema. Maybe you could turn to Deuteronomy 6. You understand the word Shema is the Hebrew word for hear or obey. So this famous passage in Deuteronomy 6, we're going to spend more time here next week, but Deuteronomy 6, 7, part of the Shema says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. God expects us. He commands us to teach our children diligently. It's a way of life. It's reiterated in Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, you never take a break from teaching your kids about the glory of God through every instance in life. You're pointing them to the goodness and to the greatness of God. Every lesson in life has a spiritual lesson. You say, Adam, you sound like you're over-spiritualizing it. You, know, you can't over-spiritualize God. Everything in life has something to do with your orientation toward God. So parents, take opportunity of everything that comes up to remind them of the goodness and the greatness of God. Turn with me, if you will, to this one, Proverbs 22.6. Probably gets a a lot of attention in most child-rearing books about about this principle that you know well. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Now, a couple of different views of this verse. There are, there's a minority view that would read this as a possible negative. And what I mean by that is if you're looking at the Hebrew, it says something more along the lines of train up a child in his way. And it could be saying, well, if by neglect or by acquiescing to your child, you let him go his own way negatively, then when he's old, that's going to turn out negative for him. So if you're a sloppy parent allowing a sloppy child to not really tidy up behavior in his life, then he starts off bad, he'll end up bad. That's more of the minority view. The majority view is probably the way most of you have read it most of your life, which would be a, a positive view that parents are being challenged. Parents are being told that we have a responsibility to train up our child in the way he should go. And so the idea is that when he's old, he won't depart from it because he's understanding what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's error, and the reward of obedience versus the discipline or the, the consequence of disobedience. So we, we got to understand what, even with that verse, it's not an absolute promise, right? It's not, it's not an individualistic promise that every parent who's ever done that can say, well, God said this, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to automatically happen because I've already shared with you, you could still be raising a cane. You could do your very best and be as faithful as the day is long, and it could be that God chooses not to save your child. And we have to rest in his infinite wisdom. And honestly, that ought to bring us comfort. It sounds a little frightening, like, what? You mean I could do everything right and they're still not going to be saved? Mm-hmm. And that actually should be comforting. Otherwise, you'll think it's your fault that you didn't do it right. And the idea is that ultimately, God's got to be the one who, who saves them. But we have a responsibility to be faithful. We have a responsibility to carry out this verse. We have a responsibility to do some disciplining and some training in a God-honoring way, trusting him with the results. Turn to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So you, don't, you can't leave him alone. Right? It's the rod that brings reproof. If you leave them along, they're going to bring shame to you. Verse 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. So it's kind of saying, hey, if you're not faithful in disciplining him, of course you're going to be frustrated. But if you're faithful in disciplining them and the grace of God saves your child and helps them walk in obedience, it could be a blessing for you. And it actually could give you some rest. It's kind of like, hey, you got to work a lot now. But maybe you could rest a little bit later. In fact, I'll never forget Professor Montoya at the Master's Seminary, a well-known Hispanic, fiery uh, preacher. He's a pastor as well as a professor. Uh, one day was telling us in class about, about a concept like this, and he was saying uh, that he had this lady in his church who had like four or five kids, and this one mama comes to him one day, and she's like, I'm just always so tired, pastor. I'm just always so tired. I got I to gotta clean the house, and I got to do the laundry, and I got to put the laundry away, and I got to prepare the meal, and I got to clean up the meal. And my kids, they do nothing. My kids aren't doing anything. And he said, how old are your kids? And she's like, well, they're like preteens and teenagers, so maybe 10 to 12, and then a few teenagers. And he said he just looked at her, and he said, you stupid. <laughs> she's like, pastor? He's like, you stupid. You should have been raising your kids to work hard. He's like, by this state in your life, you should be sitting on the couch. They should be cleaning your house. They should be making the meals and doing the laundry and bringing you some sweet tea. Here you go, mama. Take a break. Rest, mama. So maybe if the shoe fits, we got to wear it, right? I mean, maybe some of us as parents are getting too exasperated and we're getting too frustrated that our kids aren't being faithful to obey and to help out, well, maybe that's a product of the way they've been raised to a degree. Again, I want to give all the room to the grace of God. It's the ultimate trump card to make the difference. But I'm just saying there is a responsibility we have as parents to raise our kids in a God-honoring disciplinary fashion. That's why this verse says here in Ephesians 6 that we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not an option. It is in the present imperative. It's what God calls us to do all the time. 
It was Susanna Wesley, the mother of 17 children, including John and Charles Wesley, who wrote this about this subject, quote, the parent who studies to subdue self-will in his child works together with God in the renewing and saving of a soul. The parent who indulges in it does the devil's work, makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and does all that in him lies to damn his child, soul, and body forever. Sounds like Susanna is pretty hot about that one, right? It's like, look, you can either work with God and he might save your child, or you can work with the devil and your kid is on his way to hell. Which is why we understand even in the New Testament, passages like 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15 talks a little bit about how Timothy was saved from childhood, that he had been acquainted with these sacred writings because of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And it's just kind of showing, like, hey guys, by the grace of God, you could be a parent who influences your kid for godliness at a young age. And it may be that God uses a faithful grandparent. Maybe, maybe you didn't do it the way that the Bible lays out for you, and maybe you didn't pass that to your kids, and maybe you need to help your adult child learn how to parent their children. I mean, I know my parents have been always a, a healthy resource for us. Mom, Dad, what'd you do? What, did, did I ever? I did? Are you sure? What did you do? Right? I mean, we need to be encouraging each other, right, as godly grandparents like a, a Lois to encourage your kids to be faithful in teaching them about God's word. And then the fourth reason why to discipline and why it's necessary is this. Number D, the love that we have for our children demands that we discipline them. I mean, come on, you love them too much not to. Right? Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline them. Do you hate your son? No. Then discipline him. Do you love your son? Yes. Then discipline him. That's how you show love. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. I told you we'd come back to it. But this is probably the most extensive explanation of coupling love and discipline together, lest you or your child think somehow discipline is just a mean thing of the U.S. Army and that this is your child that you love and that you don't want to be too hard on. Well, just remember this one, Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? In other words, hey, wake up and listen to what God says about this. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we, what, respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share, in, uh, share his holiness for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Listen to me. I believe I've only been saved by the grace of God. But I can tell you this. My mom and my dad spanked me more times than you can count. And I'm telling you, it was not pleasant. There were many times I'm screaming at my parents and I'm upset as a kid. I remember because it happened a lot. And I'm sure there were times where my parents said, oh man, what are we doing? Maybe we should try time out instead. But they were faithful. And by the grace of God, he broke me 
and he saved me. And now I'm trying to teach my kids the same lesson. It's like, hey, hey, buddy, I'm spanking you because I love you. I mean, it doesn't take long as a parent to have your kids say something like, you hate me. Why are you hurting me? Are you trying to kill me? I mean, my word, they say it all, right? And we, whenever they start going down that path, I'm like, hey, you know what? Let me show you something. And we'll turn to Hebrews 12, and I'll read this passage so that they can see it's from God. Hey, hey buddy, I love you. Hi, sweetie, I love you. That's why I'm doing this. It's not easy, but I'm taking it to the bank that it says it's, it's painful. It seems painful uh, in the moment, but, but, uh, but rather than pleasant, but later, later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And so may we just allow this passage to speak for itself, to be realistic about the challenges that we face in discipline, but to trust that God's word is true. And that we can leave it up to him to work a special work of grace in the hearts of our children. Well, the second question, and we're not going to get to the, to the last part, but let me just fill this one in for you. The second question would be this. What does discipline address in the heart of the child? A, it teaches them that there is a greater authority. I mean, if nothing else, that passage in Philippians talks about you're going to bow the knee either now or later. Every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under earth, and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if all your child is learning in the years of when you're disciplining them corporately, if all they're learning is there's someone bigger than me, there's someone stronger than me, there's someone who has more authority than me, there is a standard that I must adhere to, and when I don't, I will receive punishment or discipline for the purpose of instructing my heart to look to Christ. If that's all they get, then that's enough. Just to know there's, there's an authority greater than them. This is why we're doing this. We're trying to address this in their heart. Look, you can tell a kid all day long you've got authority over them, but sometimes you have to show them by using the rod in a loving, kind, patient, and appropriate way. Secondly, you got what else is discipline addressed in the heart of a child? B, it teaches them about the holiness of God and the gospel of Christ. You understand that if you let sin go untouched, you're basically saying sin's not a big deal. You allow your kid to lie and you don't address it, you're saying it's not a big deal. If you allow your child to disrespect you and you don't address it, you're saying sin's not a big deal. But disciplining them reminds them about the holiness of God. And also gives you an opportunity to teach them the gospel that they can be made holy by the propitiation of Christ. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You say, well, I don't, how, how does that work with discipline? Well, you're reminding your kid. You actually deserve worse. You deserve death. But Christ came and died in your place so that you don't have to receive the eternal wrath of God. Christ came and took your sin upon him and received ultimate punishment in his death on the cross so that you could be set free. It's an opportunity to go back to the gospel. I mean, we're always talking as parents. I want to reiterate the gospel. I want to reiterate the gospel. I want my kids to see the gospel. Great opportunity and discipline, right? To, re to remind them of what they deserve. And discipline is a reminder of that. But what they get through the mercy of God and through the kindness of God. C, it teaches them that they are to be learning and growing. Just in case you have one of those kids who thinks they know everything about the Bible, and they know all about Daniel and the lion's den, and David and Goliath, and they start to roll their eyes every time you teach them what you think is a new Bible story. Well, discipline is certainly one way to keep them humble, right? Just to remind them that, hey, buddy, you don't have this all figured out. You still need mom and dad's help. 1 Corinthians 3, 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? In other words, it might just be a, a continued reminder of this need of sanctification in the life of your kid that they need to grow and depend on the grace of God and to be maturing 
not staying on milk, but moving up to solid food. D, it teaches them that mom and dad care about their behavior and attitude. Right? You're teaching your kid every time. You, you know what? I think so many times kids are screaming for attention. That's what they're really wanting. They're, they're, they're pushing the envelope and they want attention. We'll give them some. Care for them by taking them to your bedroom or into the bathroom or wherever you go and administer the rod lovingly and kindly and embrace them and talk with them and pray with them and cry together and rejoice together that you can be done with that. We're going to talk again more specifically about that next week. So let's just skip down to the take home if we can, just to give you a little bit more food for thought and we'll be done. Number one, do you discipline your children primarily for God's glory or for your own sanity? All right, there's nothing wrong with wanting a sane home instead of an insane home. But just make sure you're connecting it to the glory of God. It's not just like, well, I need peace and quiet around here. You're like, well, I want to magnify God. I have a responsibility as a parent to glorify my father, God. So I'm going to do it ultimately for his glory. Number two, are you loving and kind during the discipline process or impatient and frustrated? I confess, many times my kids are doing something and I'm like, come here. Pick him up, take him up the stairs, and I'm like, you know, <sighs> and I'm upset, and it's not right. I'm not saying it's not right to exercise a little muscle here and there and to make let them know you mean business, but what I'm saying is, am I loving them? Am I being patient and kind through the process? Because if I'm acting like disciplining them is such a pain in the neck for me, that's not really helping with the whole process. I need to be kind and patient and loving and ready to address the situation just like Jesus would. Lastly, is discipline in your house more of an inconvenience or a shepherding tool? And sometimes we just think, again, I'm inconvenienced from the game, from my free time, from my rest on the couch. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. here's an opportunity to shepherd your children. Here it is. It's right there. It's an opportunity for you to use this as a tool to shepherd your kids so don't see it as an interruption and inconvenience to your day. It is precisely what God has called you to do as a parent. So next week, we're going to look at practically what that looks like in that third question, and then hopefully jump into what it means also to deliver the instruction of the Lord to our kids as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity just to spend some time, just to slow down and, and spend a whole sermon just on verses of Scripture that remind us to discipline our children. And God, I know that practically this plays out in different ways with different stages and different ages and different children and different hearts and different situations. But God, there's so many principles here that we just need to meditate on and to believe and to be reminded of and to have a deeper conviction that your word works. And we want to be faithful. And while we totally want to rely on the 100% of the grace of God to do the actual transformation. We want to be faithful parents. And so, God, I pray for the parents in this room who've been lazy. I pray that you would help them step up their game. Help us to show love and not hate towards our children by disciplining them in the love of Christ. And I pray for children, God, that they may understand a little bit better What's going on in the rationale of discipline so they may receive it gladly and look to Christ to be changed daily more and more into the image of your son. And so, Father, would you help us as we now move into the Lord's Supper to think about these things and to apply them in our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.